Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Romans chapter 16 today. And excited we are coming down on this amazing book of the Bible, Romans. You've heard it said that the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. <laughs> uh, I understand what they're saying. Uh, there is some truth to that. Uh, there, there, are, there can be some challenging moments with people. I think we all know that. Uh, to be honest, some of the most painful moments that I know my wife and I have faced in life have been people issues. And so we know they can be hard. But I don't fully agree with that statement at the beginning because the opposite is also true, and it's more true. <laughs> in fact, uh, if I could say that also in our life, uh, the best moments that we've ever had in life are usually because of people also. And so when it comes to relationships on this earth, the sweetest ones, I think, uh, at least for us, are with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We love our families, and, and uh, we ha- certainly do have closeness with our families, but it's with those who love the Lord, who are, we are one in spirit with, that we really seem to uh, get close with. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I've already made up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord no matter what happens. But having folks like you around makes serving the Lord so much richer and so much sweeter. I mean, you see it in the dramas around here when we do the Easter and Christmas drama. Patty is always having to tell people, be quiet, be quiet, stop talking. We're trying to do this. You're having too much fun, basically. Stop having so much fun together. And you see it at Freedom Fest, uh, People are just working side by side and having just a good time serving the Lord. You see it in our summer mission week when we go out in the neighborhoods and get handing out tracts and people just leaning on one another for boldness, for strength, and just rubbing off on one another. And then when you're in a church and the difficult days come, and they will come for all of us, there is that spiritual, emotional, and even physical support that God's people give. And it's so uplifting. I I literally don't know where we would be without the people of God. I love God's people. I love the relationships that I've made in church. And in fact, I think the relationships I've made in church are some of the dearest in the world to me. I wouldn't want to walk through this life without, with anyone else other than God's people, you folks. Now, this sounds kind of mushy this morning. And if it does, I'm really sorry. Uh, blame it on Paul, because the next chapter, Psalm, or excuse me, Romans 16, is one of the most mushy-gushy in the entire Bible, okay? And Paul is going to just pour out his affection on people, on people that he loved, on people in his life, relationships that he had. And remember, no minister of the Lord does his work alone, including the Apostle Paul. And it's very obvious that he understood that. I am not doing this alone. He had many close Christian relationships in Rome. 
and he wanted to express his love to them. So he had many, many relationships, but in this chapter, really, he's talking about the people that he loves there in Rome, Italy. Now, this is the personal side of Paul that we're going to see in this chapter. If you read it quickly, as if you were just reading through the Bible and you go through Romans 16, it just might seem like a bunch of names to you. And it kind of feels like when I was, after I was going through it, I felt like I was in Paul's house, and Paul's walking me through his house, and he goes through his hallway, and he's looking at all the pictures on the wall, and he's saying, see, see here's uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They're my good friends, and he tells a little bit about them. And here's my other friends, uh, Rufus. I tell a little more about him. And he's just kind of going through, telling you a little bit about each person in his life. That's what it feels like. But what I'm going to do this morning is I'm, I'm going to try to help us see the hidden gems under the surface of all these names and this, these relationships that Paul held. And remember, each name is a real-life person that lived in real time and that knew the great apostle Paul. And these were some of his closest allies. And also be sure to notice the heart of the great apostle. I mean, sure, this man is brilliant. I don't know, it'd be hard for anybody to compare with his intellect. He wrote the Christian constitution, the book of Romans. But Paul loved people. I think he would have been one of those enjoyable people to be around. He, he, would have been, he would have been one of those people you'd want to have in your home. You'd invite him over for dinner, you'd just have a good time with him. He'd ask you questions about your life, he'd want to know more about you. I just feel like he would be that kind of a person. And you can see that in how he just overflows with genuine love here and notices all the personal characteristics of these people in his life. He's also a person that doesn't wait, listen, he doesn't wait until people are dead to say nice things about them. <laughs> He expressed his love, and I aspire to be a person like that. So this, fe this chapter features 33 names, 33 people that Paul knew. 24 were in Rome, 17 men, 7 women. In addition, the apostle mentions two households, the, the mother of someone and the sister of someone. And this just shows Paul had, he really uh, maintained a remarkable amount of relationships, affectionate relationships with people. And he knew them all by name, he knew their character, he knew about their lives, and loved each one of them. So, I'm calling this Paul's Hall of Friendship. And our first one we're going to look at is Precious Phoebe, a servant of the church. Phoebe, a servant of the church. Here we go, Romans 16 and verse 1. I commend unto you, Paul says, Phoebe, our sister, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Cancrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many, and of myself also. So Paul starts here by giving not a greeting, but a commendation for a woman named Phoebe. He was commending her to the church in Rome. So she didn't live in Rome, but she came to Rome. And if uh, if you think about a commendation or a reference, you know, if you're going to get a job, one of the best things you can do is to get a letter of reference from someone who can attest to your character and your abilities. Well, in the ancient times, this was a very common thing. You would take reference letters with you if you're moving to a new town or you're, um, you're traveling through on, a, on an errand or a mission. In fact, archaeologists have discovered many of these kinds of letters, particularly in Egypt. <clears throat> I have a, there's a sample of one here 
It was a certain man by the name of Mysterion. He was an Egyptian olive planter, and he sent his servant on an errand to Stototus, a chief priest, and he gives him a letter, hands him a letter of introduction to take with him. And here's what the letter says. It says, Mysterion to his own Stototus, many greetings. I have sent my blastus to you for forked sticks from my olive gardens, or for my olive gardens. See then that you do not detain him, for you know how I need him every hour. To Stototus, chief priest at the island. (laughs) So these kind of little letters, they keep finding all over the place. They're very important, and that's very similar to what Paul is doing here in verses one and two for Phoebe. Most likely, Phoebe is the one carrying the letter of Romans to to Rome. And so what a trustworthy person that she must have been. He is writing probably from Corinth. He puts it in her hands and he says, go, take this letter to Rome. This wasn't a copy of the book of Romans. This was the original autograph by Paul himself. And perhaps she was moving to Rome for a time or she was just sent on a journey. But Paul calls Phoebe a servant of the church. She gave her life to the mission of God's church. What a great thing to be known for. She obviously believed that this is how she, as a, as a woman of God, could do the most for Christ. Just be a servant in God's church. You know, if there was a need, guess who would be the one person you could count on? Phoebe. <laughs> maybe there was a saying, and I was thinking about her, maybe there's a saying in her church. If you need something done right, find faithful Phoebe. Find faithful Phoebe. Her name is actually, if you go back in the history of the name, it's one of the names of the goddess Diana which tells us that she was probably not raised in a Christian home. But now, look what Paul calls her, our sister. Our sister. She was very much part of God's family. What a wonderful thing, if you think about this, that God's people, the Christians, are encouraged to call one another brother, sister. Those terms, they are familial terms. They are family terms. God wants us to be like family. It's, and it's, then it says that she succored many, or she assisted, it means to she assisted, protected, helped, or looked after many, many, including, Paul says, himself. So Paul, he's saying, I'm sending to you Phoebe, and I want you to take care of her because she has helped so many, she's protected, she's looked after so many, including myself. So Paul said, make sure you do the same for her. Help her in anything that she needs. Perhaps she needed to find a home. Perhaps she needed food or travel costs or anything that she needs. You help her out. And we need to be thoughtful about helping uh, faithful servants of the Lord. I think we need to uh, be very observant about the needs that other Christians are dealing with and other, other Christians need. When I was about 18 years old, I did a couple-month internship at a, at a large church in Des Moines, Iowa. And... Uh, the well-known Christian researcher, George Barna, he did a seminar there while I was there. And so, you know, they, they needed a job for this intern kid that was there. And so they said, listen, your job is to take care of George Barna. Take care of any, anything he needed at the church. You just, you just make sure he gets what he needs. So I took that very seriously, and I waited on him hand and foot. And I think he got annoyed with me. George Barna said, get this guy away from me. But, but truthfully, I enjoyed that, and I really still enjoy pouring out hospitality on 
any of the traveling ministers that come through here at the home church. Uh, I watched my parents do this. I watched them host missionaries and evangelists and many people in our home growing up. And, uh, and, I, and I was just, I enjoyed it, and it's a joy for me as well. And I think we, we do all, we all should do all we can to bless these people of God that come through that are born-again believers that are doing something for the Lord. We ought to help God's servants, and we ought to do that for one another as well. And that's the treatment that Paul wanted for Phoebe. Paul was not so busy with theological matters, think about this, Paul was not so busy with theological matters that he didn't stop and think about the practical needs of one of, of this precious woman, a, a one of God's servants. He made sure this wonderful woman was well-received and taken care of. And this is a good time to mention something. The Bible is not misogynist, as some people try to claim. Quite the opposite, the Bible actually elevates women. In fact, if someone tells you that the Bible is misogynist, then you know that they don't understand history and they don't understand the Bible. It was uh, the culture back then, it was the culture that downgraded women and treated them as less important. In fact, the Bible shows that women were always welcomed by Jesus, that they played crucial roles in the life of Christ, which was very countercultural at the time. And they were with Jesus at the cross. It was women that were with Jesus at the cross. They were first at the tomb. They were the primary witnesses to the resurrection. They were in the upper room praying on the day of Pentecost, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were also instrumental in the starting of churches. We see that all throughout the New Testament, and we'll even see that again in this chapter, Romans 16. And in fact, the first two names here on Paul's list are women. And, and so it's just because the office of pastor was given to men, it doesn't mean that there aren't a thousand other duties that are for anyone, men or women. And in the book, The Triumph of Christianity by Rodney Stark, he says this, listen to this. Recent objective evidence leaves no doubt that early Christian women did enjoy far greater equality with men than did their pagan and Jew Jewish counterparts. A study of Christian burials in the catacombs under Rome based on 3,733 cases found that Christian women were nearly as likely as Christian men to be commemorated with lengthy inscriptions. This near equality in the commemoration of males and females is something that is peculiar to Christians and sets them apart from the non-Christian populations of the city. This was true not only of adults but also of children as Christians lamented the loss of a daughter as much as that of a son, which was especially unusual compared with other religious groups in Rome. And by the way, women are still crucial to the continuing of God's mission today. I would make the case that the, the modern culture of today is actually misogynist, and I'm, but I'm not gonna do that right now, I don't have the time, but, and I better get off this subject. But anyway, that is the absolute truth. It is God that elevates women and gives them their rightful role. The next, next of Paul's great friends are Priscilla and Aquila, and let's call them sacrificial helpers. Here's what it says, verse three, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So this is a married couple. They were close friends and helpers of Paul. And it says here that they went so far as to risk their lives. They laid down their own necks for Paul. 
Now, I want to go back real quick and look at where their relationship with Paul first began. So if you would, please go to Acts chapter 18. I want to look at a few verses here. Acts 18 and verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy, that is Rome, with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, that is, Paul was of the same craft of Aquila and Priscilla, he abode with them and wrought for their occupation. They were tent makers. So here's what we have. This couple uh, meets Paul in Corinth, but they were originally from Rome, Italy. They had been forced to leave Rome when the anti-Semite Claudius forced all the Jews out of Rome. And this also says here that Paul then lived with them in Corinth because they had the same trade. They were tent makers. So Paul lived with these fine folks and he actually worked with them in their little business, their tent making business there in Corinth. Now look down a few verses for a little more on this couple. Verse 18, and Paul after this tarried yet a good while and then took his leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila having shorn his head in Cancrea, for he had a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there. So Paul had gotten so close to Aquila and Priscilla that they traveled with him to Ephesus, where they stayed even after Paul left. And Paul was there for about two years with them. And now, let's look, again, they were making tents, preaching the gospel, doing what they could, and having a church in their home, we believe. And now, look at the spiritual wisdom of this couple, verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So here we have this couple. They take this eloquent, fiery, zealous young preacher and they teach him more thoroughly the doctrines that Paul had really taught them. And what a fantastic couple. And they always seem to be opening their homes and their hearts to God's men. These preachers, Paul, they had in, his home, in their home. Apollos, they have in their home. Other people. And Paul literally said that they risked their lives per, for Paul's sake. And this was a power couple for Jesus. And by the time Paul wrote Romans, Priscilla and Aquila had made it back to Rome. Because Paul is saying, greet them now in Rome. So they went back to their hometown. And they went back probably once Nero took over and Claudius had died. And we see in Romans 16, 5, the next verse, that, that they had at church in their home there in Rome. But that was before there were buildings and people were starting churches in their homes. Paul had nothing but gratitude for this self-sacrificing couple. In fact, Paul said that all the churches of the Gentiles ought to thank them here in Romans 16, all of them. That means us included, by the way. We have a lot to thank Aquila and Priscilla for. Without this couple, the gospel would not have spread like it did. And two things I want to say real quick that I learned just real practically from this couple. Number one, some people stop serving the Lord once they get married. We should step it up even more. We should step it up even more. Some people seem, once they get married, they seem to turn inward and they only care about themselves and that's it. Man, on the, on the contrary, we should be a better team for the Lord. 
And number two, a home is more than just a place to relax. That's what I learned from Aquila and Priscilla. It's a Christian learning center. Whether it's children, grandchildren, friends, neighbors, our homes can be used for the propagation of the gospel. And they should be. The greatest Christian learning, I think, happens in a home. Because you actually not only get to hear the the word of God being taught as a child or whatever in a home, but you watch the person teaching you and you observe their life. We learn it by words, by example, and this is why homes are so powerful and so strong in influencing the next generation. And I still remember the hundreds of times my mom and dad sat us down and taught us the word of God in our home, in our living room. And I also remember something my mom did that gave us such a great example of what a home should also be for, and that is she several times would hold backyard Bible clubs. And kids in our neighborhood for one week out of the year would come for several hours, kind of like a VBS in the home. And the kids would come and she would teach them and they, she would sing with neighborhood kids and give them the gospel. Our home was a mission center. And I want to just tell you, your home, our, all of our homes could be a mission center for the Lord. If you have neighbors or neighbor kids hanging out all the time in the, in the home, don't waste that opportunity. Now, before we leave Priscilla and Aquila, I want to mention a couple fascinating possibilities real quick about these two. We don't know these things for sure, but William Barclay mentions a couple things. He says that today, to this day, there is a catacomb in Rome called the Catacomb of Priscilla. Now this cemetery, it's a burying place of ancient Roman, of the ancient Roman Asilian family. It lies, there lies buried Asilius Glebrio. He was a consul of Rome in AD 91, which is the highest office that Rome could give him. And it's very, it's extremely likely that this man died a martyr's death as a believer, as a Christian. Now also, also one of the commonest female names in the Asilian family was Priscilla. And Asilius is sometimes written as Aquilus, which is very close to Aquila. So here, here there are two fascinating possibilities here, he writes. Number one is as Jews, because we know Aquilus and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla, at least one of them were Jews, so they were slaves, perhaps they were slaves, but in the Asilian family. And could it be that these two slaves in the Asilian family led Asilius Grabo to Christ, the consul of Rome? But there's even another more romantic possibility here, and this is for my wife and the other ladies. It's an odd thing, in, in when you see Aquila and Priscilla, their names in scripture, six times their names are mentioned Four out of those, Priscilla's name comes first. And that's kind of unusual. Typically, it's the husband's name first. So, perhaps, uh, there's just this possibility that is because Priscilla was not a slave, and she was actually a great lady. She was a member of birth of the Asilian family, the great Asilian family in Rome. And could it be that this Aquila uh, married a humble Jewish tent maker? The two fell in love. And could it be that their love for Christ destroyed the barriers that race and rank and wealth and birth and all of that. And these two served the Lord faithfully the rest of their days. These are all just possibilities. We don't know for sure. But what we can be sure of is this, that Christians owe a great deal of thanks, that's what Paul says, to these two people. All the churches of the Gentiles owe a lot to these two people, this amazing couple who faithfully served the Lord and loved the Lord in their era. All right, let's go through another's a little quicker. Next we have Epinatus, a courageous first convert. Look at this. 
Likewise, greet the church that is in their house, that is Aquila and Priscilla. Salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Epinatus was probably part of the household of a man named Stephanus, because in 1 Corinthians 16, 15, it says that Stephanus' household was the firstfruits of Achaia. So this means that the, uh, they were the first to be born again in this region. You know, it takes courage, and many of you know this, it takes courage to be the first convert in a family, in a pagan culture. It takes courage to follow Christ in a family or a, a, a friend group. You may be the first to accept Christ in a friend group or, a, or the workplace. I'm sure Epinatus had to deal with a lot of mockery, a lot of ridicule, a lot of rejection. And many believers today can identify with Epinatus. And Paul calls him, look what he calls him, he says, my well-beloved, well-beloved, meaning he really loved this guy. <laughs> Paul really had a love for Epinatus. Then notice next is Mary, a woman who labored much, verse six, greet Mary who bestowed much labor on us. Mary who bestowed much labor on us. At some point, in some place, this woman crossed paths with Paul and just worked her heart out. She worked her nails to the bone. She, she uh, went all out for Paul and these other missionaries that he was with. And this was her ministry, serve the missionaries. This was her missionary, serve the, the missionaries. And Paul never forgot it. Notice, notice two quick things. Number one, God never forgets the work we do for the Lord. No matter how small it is, just working, working, working for the Lord. And then the second thing is that ministry is called here labor, work. We might get the idea that ministry is easy all the time, but it's called work. It's called labor. This is why I'm so impressed with the Marys around here, I got to tell you. I watched some of you bestow much labor, just as Mary did. You give up time you could spend on yourself, and you work hard for the Lord. You come down here, you're talking about coming down last night, and the worship folks coming on a Saturday night giving up their time to be here and serve the Lord, and you do it with a smile and without complaint. Not like the story about Bob who invited his boss over, Mr. Andrews, for dinner with his family, and Bob was nervous, and so was his wife, Shelly. Shelly was in there preparing the meal, and she was talking to herself and saying, why are we doing this? It's so hot in the kitchen. I wish Bob's boss weren't coming tonight. And Jason, her youngest child, was taking it all in. Bob was intent on showing his family to his boss, and so they gathered around the table, and he said to little Jason, Jason, why don't you please say grace for us? Jason was a little bit shy, and he blushed, but Dad, I don't know what to say. And Shelly squeezed Jason out and just said, honey, just talk to God like I do, okay? Jason swallowed and said, Lord, I'm nervous, I'm hot, I wish Bob's boss wasn't coming tonight, amen. <laughs> don't be like that. All right, then another couple here, Adronicus and Junia. Early converts and fellow prisoners. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who were also Christ before me. The name Junia, likely a female name, so it's likely that this was a man and a wife. Paul says there are four things here. My kinsmen, which perhaps means that Paul's rel they were rel relatives of Paul or they were from the same Jewish tribe. Two, they were fellow prisoners. They were willing to be in the dark, depressing, and torturous prison alongside Paul. By the way, this says, that says something about their, how strong their faith was. Fellow prisoners. They were willing to be in a dark dungeon with Paul. And then it says they are of note among the apostles, meaning that the, the apostles had a lot of respect. All the apostles had a lot of respect for these two people. And then number four, they were in Christ before me. They, they became Christians before Paul. Maybe on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. 
See, Paul was following in their footsteps, not the other way around. Now consider a few thoughts here. Were these relatives of Paul who tried to witness to him before he was saved? Is this partly why he was under such conviction and hated Christians? Because these crazy family members of his that were always talking about Jesus? And were they praying for him to be saved this whole, that whole time? We don't know, but it's interesting to consider that. And I would like to ask you, who in your family is a Saul of Tarsus that God could transform into a Paul? Who hates what you stand for? What family member of yours hates what you stand for? Who, who won't listen to you? Well, keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Then we have Amplius, beloved in the Lord. That's what verse 8 says. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. What would it mean to you to have Paul say this about you? Luke, my well-beloved, my beloved in the Lord. Wow, what a great thing to, to have said about you. Amplius was just someone Paul dearly loved. Perhaps he was one of those people who was good at pouring out love on the apostle Paul every time he saw him. He was just one of those people who knew how to love others. Urban, a helper in Christ. Salute Urban, a, our helper in Christ. And Stachys, my well-beloved. Verse 9. Paul wouldn't... Paul would not throw out empty flattery. He was not that kind of a person. If he called this brother a helper in Christ, then he most certainly was a diligent and loyal helper in Christ. Urban had a decision to make like all of us, follow the world or Christ, and he chose to follow Christ. Stachus, it says, one beloved. He was beloved. Another person known for the greatest of all attributes, and that is love. And then Apelles, who was tried and proven. Verse 10, salute Apelles, approved in Christ, salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. What does it mean that Apelles is approved? Well, the word approved means tried. Perhaps Christ had allowed this man to go through some hard times of testing, and yet his faith came out, tried and proven, again and again. I don't know why God allows some people to suffer more than other people, it feels like, but we know that the Lord is with every one of those who goes through those times of testing. And then there's the household of Aristobulus, it says, and these folks were serving the true master. Aristobulus was the name of Herod the Great's grandson. So this household could be a reference to his family or the slaves of this wealthy political figure here. Uh, this verse made Charles Spurgeon think of those who were living in the home with an unsaved man, because it doesn't say Aristobulus was a believer, it says those of the household of Aristobulus. So here's what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, where are you, Aristobulus? That is not your name, perhaps, but your character is the same as that of this unregenerate Roman whose family knew the Lord. I might speak in God's name good words and comfortable words to your wife and to your children, but I could not so speak to you, Aristobulus. The Lord sends a message of grace to your dear child, to your beloved wife, but not to you, for you have not given your heart to him. You know, it's difficult for many who love the Lord to live in a home with an unbeliever. But this shows, if that's you, that God notices you. God sees you. And it might be difficult, but you hang on, you keep loving the Lord. Then in verse 11, salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them to be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. So we have Herodian here, which is another of Paul's relatives, and probably a slave of Herod. We're going to get to heaven one day and meet all these relatives of Paul. I'm looking forward to that. And all these people, man, we're going to have conversation after conversation, story after story to catch up on. And then it says the household of Narcissus. 
And these were Christian slaves. You know, he specifically addresses the slaves who are Christians here. He said, those uh, greet them that be of the household of narcissists, which are in the Lord. Some in the household weren't Christians and some were. And so he says specifically to those who are Christians. Now this brings up a question. Why would God allow his born-again children to remain slaves? Well, perhaps they needed to reach certain people that others couldn't reach. Perhaps their mission was to reach this man, Narcissus. Historians tell us that this Narcissus was probably the personal secretary to the Emperor Claudius. And if Aristobulus, as we talked about earlier, really is the Aristobulus who is the grandson of Herod, and if Narcissus really is the Narcissus who is Claudius' secretary, this means that many of the slaves in that imperial, uh, at the imperial court were Christians. I mean, we're talking about Christians in the highest level of Rome. That's an amazing thing. And God knows how to get his message to the movers and shakers of this world. And he'll do it however he needs to do it. And by the way, we need people in, in every part of God's, uh, on God's green earth. Every part of society, every part of this world, we need God's people. By the way, just a few weeks ago, I heard that there apparently are some people that are high up at NBC, the, the media conglomerate. NBC, there are people high up at NBC and, and, and other media corporations who truly love the Lord and are trying to win people to Christ and fight from within for moral values. It's an interesting thought, but that's what, that's, apparently that's what's going on. Anyway, and for those who feel, and for any of us here that feel like a slave at work and hate your job, <laughs> maybe there's a narcissist <laughs> in your life that you're supposed to reach, and God has you there for a reason. God has you there for a reason. And then Tryphena, Tryphasa, and Persis. These were hardworking women. Look what it says in verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphasa who labored much in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis which labored much in the Lord. Scholars say that these two first were likely twin sisters. Their names mean, mean dainty and delicate, respectively. But Paul says these women were laborers. He used this word of Mary also earlier, but this word actually means in Greek to toil to the point of exhaustion. <laughs> so, some think this is a play on words. Paul writes, you know, with a schmirk here. They may seem dainty and delicate, but they can outwork the best of y'all, <laughs> is basically what he's saying. And then Persis, lots of labor in the Lord, it says. This was a Persian woman who was loved, beloved by everyone and another diligent worker. Again, you know, the Lord, or the church, excuse me, owes so much to hard-working women. And then Rufus, a special saint. Verse 13 says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. It says Rufus is chosen in the Lord. It could be said that he had a choice spirit. It's another way to say that. In other words, he was a man who had a unique closeness to the Lord. There was something about him that was special. Perhaps that stems from the fact that this could have been the one and the same Rufus, the son of Simon the Cyrene, who carried the cross of Christ. Now, I want to take a look real fast at another passage to help us connect these dots. Look at Mark 15, verse 21. I have it here for you. This, ha this happened the moment that Jesus was being uh, run up the hill after he'd just been beaten, taken a horrible beating, and they force a man to carry his cross. Verse 21, and they compel one Simon, the Cy a Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Was this the same Rufus that Paul greets here in Romans? There's further evidence that, that could be the case. Mark wrote his gospel to the church at Rome. And then here in 
1521, in Mark 1521, he identifies Simon by the name of his sons, which is unusual, which implies that the sons were more well-known than the father. So this Rufus, which Paul greets in the Roman church, could likely be the one and the same. Now, our imaginations can run wild with this one, but imagine the day when Rufus's dad was conscripted to do something he never wanted to do, carry a criminal's cross. Perhaps this was the one year he had finally made the made 800-mile journey to Jerusalem for the Passover. How angry Simon would have been to have to do this, to carry this cross for this condemned man. But once he got to that hill of called Calvary and quietly watched everything that was taking place and heard what Jesus said on the cross, something just happened inside his heart. Maybe he was close to the centurion when that centurion said, surely this man was the son of God. Maybe seeing the sun darkened and the earthquake and the middle of the day, he just knew something was different. And he went back and shared everything he saw and heard with his family. That one day may have changed this family forever. And that one day should change all of us. All of us. And perhaps his sons became missionaries. It says in Acts 11, I'm not gonna read them here, we need to go through quickly, but that... There were some people who came out of Cyrene and brought the gospel to Antioch, preaching the Lord Jesus, and many were saved. Could that have been Rufus and Alexander, his sons, from Cyrene? We don't know this for sure, but it's exciting to think about all this and how God might use us for his glory as well. Rufus continues, Paul mentions the mother of Rufus, a second mom to Paul. He says, verse 13, his mother and mine. In other words, I see her as my mom also. Some of you moms are like this, mom to everybody, you know, in the church. Mothering as a ministry, I think we need to start that ministry. But when other people were questioning Paul, Paul, can you tell me about theology and eternal security and all those kinds of things? And Paul, this, this lady, she was just over there, Paul, what can I do? Have you had enough food? Have you had enough rest, Paul? Are you doing okay? She treated him like a mom. And as a person, me, without a living mom, that means a lot. Just the hugs from a a precious woman of God means something. It meant something to Paul. I call her my mom also. It's exciting to live for Jesus. There are so many ways to serve the Lord. Paul goes on to talk about many more precious saints. We'll call them the unknown servants. They're unknown to us, but not to God. And he, he has several names there in verses 14 and 15. I won't, even re- I won't read them, but every one of these people was special to Paul and most of all to Jesus. No one is a no one in Christ. Each one has a name, each one has a story, that, and each one is a person that Jesus loves, and Paul certainly knew and loved them. Lastly, I want to mention this verse 16. Paul says, salute one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. The Greek word for salute literally means to enfold in the arms. So notice this very warm greeting here. Enfold in the arms and kiss each other. Obviously, we want to be appropriate with this, but the point is to be as warm as you can in your greetings. I, I recently did the most, one of the most unusual funerals I ever did. I went to the Hutchinson Street Square, and it was kind of more of a family gathering, and they were having dinner, and everybody was upbeat, and they said, could you just come and say a little, few words and pray with the group? I said, sure. So I came in there, and I, I mentioned something about this, you know, about the person who died, and the mother of, of that lady who had died, she was probably in her 80s, she walked up to me afterwards, and she was just filled with emotions and so thankful for my part in it that she planted a big old kiss right on my lips. I mean a big old one right on my lips. Now, that's the first time. There are a lot of ways to uh, thank a pastor, but that was the first time that ever happened to me. And I had to go home and tell my wife all about it. My, my kids still tease me about that. But we, 
Now, I'm not encouraging us to all go that far, okay? The Lord, God says a holy kiss here, a holy kiss. But I do think, I do think appropriate affection is so important in a church and among believers. We need to kiss each other in a holy way. We need to hug. We need to handshake. We need to tap on the shoulder. Some kind of personal affection goes a long way in just continuing to communicate love amongst one another. I think we'll be a better saint for the Lord if we learn to do this well. To some it comes natural, to some it does not, but I think it's all good practice for us. Just keep greeting each other warmly. Before we end, let me just say this. I wish I could write something about all of you. I wish I could write a Romans 16 about the people of the home church. I would have something to say about every single one of you. It is a delight to serve alongside you. And I hope the things that we heard about these people are the things that we would want to make true of our life that we would be hard workers for the Lord, that we would be beloved and we would love one another. Lord, we pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.